So hi everyone. Well, here we are. We've got a very special guest with us today, Michelle Gallagher, who um, we were so lucky to hear her on a masterclass at Epworth last week about social media. And we thought, wow, who is this amazing startup, Shelley? So, so welcome, Michelle, um, to the podcast. Um, should we just get the ball rolling? Can you let us know how it came to be that you're interested in social media and you were doing a masterclass and, and what's your story? Sure, yeah. I um, started off as an orthoptist, which is, I guess, a bit like an optometrist, but it turns out I was really crap at that. And so ended up in um, the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. But till recently, I was chief executive of the peak body for biotech in Victoria. And part of my job was how do we tell the story about how great Australian biotech and medical research is? And this was about 2008 and social media was the answer. So that's where my career, I guess, diverted into social media. And I've spent the last sort of six years just listening to people like you on social media. And it's completely fascinating. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I think that's fascinating. You must have seen so many changes in social media from 2008. Um, I've been on Twitter for 10 years this year, I think it is, so since 2010, and not initially in the, in the medical or science space. So it's changed a lot. Um, what, what, have you, what have you noticed? What we saw right at the start was initially it was scientists using particularly Twitter and they were amplifying their research, but they were also helping to build um, networks around the world, collaborators. Um, they were listening to other authors. They were picking up a lot of information that they wouldn't necessarily see across disciplines. And then it was probably about 2013 that I really started to notice healthcare providers. And so I was very tuned into listening. So I was working on a project at the time that was around FODMAPs. So, and this was particularly around gut and nutrition health. Yep. And so I was listening really carefully to dietitians. And that's when I started my business, which at the time was called The Social Science. And it was about listening carefully and really trying to understand the unmet clinical need, but also listening to patients and their real lived experience that they were sharing on social media, which is, it's such a privilege to listen to their voices directly. I, th I mean, <clears throat> for me, and I'm, I think Gongasville would say the same thing, it's been a game changer because um, very much, and I agree, I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook and primarily Facebook is a closed environment for me to keep contact with friends who are um, across the whole globe um, and hard to keep up with. But I feel like, particularly on Twitter, um, I do hear many, many voices from across um, many professions and patients and consumers, and it gives me an opportunity to, um, I guess, take the temperature of the zeitgeist. Um, and certainly across the pandemic and, and with other things, we've said that we feel like we have more of a concept of what's going on um, and what is being discussed. And granted, that's an English-speaking um, platform um, and so it's unclear whether or not that that's um, uh, the true temperature across everywhere um, and so I'm not clear that there's equity in that but I feel like I have much more of a concept of what's going on and that it kind of what's happening in Twitter in many ways 
and and you have to be listening. The key is is, and is that you have to be listening, not just talking. Thank you. Um, and so I follow almost as many people, if not more, than that follow me for that very reason, and from across um, many areas, not just health. Um, and so I'm intrigued by you say you listen and that you've got a startup and a business with that. What do you do with the listening? <laughs> yeah, so we, we actually use artificial intelligence to listen because it's like drinking from a fire hose. When you're trying to listen to a conversation around a particular therapeutic area or you're trying to listen in a certain geography, there's millions of messages. There's sometimes hundreds of millions of messages um, if you stretch back into space. So we can only ever listen to public conversations. So that's a very clear boundary here. Um, we also work with the Australian AI principles. So that is privacy by design first. Um, and part of that is having a very clear relationship with just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yep. And that's an ethos in our business. Um, so our values are about listening respectfully and taking only information that's shared in the public domain, which is to a degree with consent. But I think the future is going to be interesting because I think there's going to be a greater barrier around consent. And yeah. that's good because people need to realise that what they share to social media is incredibly valuable data. Um, but the business that I started was called The Social Science and we helped healthcare organisations do social media. So we created content. So the people that work for me are all medically qualified or they have PhDs in life science, but they've also got postgraduates in journalism, marketing, digital design. So we were creating health messages and we did a lot of work for government, but also for universities and research institutes helping to amplify their research or our startup biotechs and medtechs because I work a lot with them. So the business that I've got now is called Opal and this is using artificial intelligence to listen really carefully and to draw insights from that. So we help startups understand where the unmet clinical need is or we help governments understand what's happening with patient populations. We can sometimes see um, I guess issues around compliance or things like vaccine hesitancy. We're listening to those conversations. So we try hard not to interfere with the conversation. Yep. Instead, we listen very carefully and try to draw insights from that. Michelle, that's just so fascinating to me to hear that, the science behind the social media. I mean, people like like myself are just kind of dabbling on social media and you sort of get into it and then you're starting to realise the power of it as you sort of gently creep and in, creep into it without... It, really analysing or thinking about what you're getting yourself involved in. I'm really interested, when you, when you say you use artificial intelligent, in, intelligence to listen, I mean, there's 500 million tweets per day and, you know, you're trying to find sense to all that data. Could you explain that process to me? Sure. Like I'm a five-year-old, because I don't know very much about it. <laughs> Sorry, right, I'm only like about five minutes in front of you, really. Yeah. Um, because as I said, my background's clinical, not computer science, but I've got a great team of people that I work with that are very well qualified in that space. But just to understand artificial intelligence is, an, or if you sometimes hear the word machine learning. So this is creating a computer program 
that can pick up information from a very wide data source. And all it really does is it sorts and ranks and it looks for differences, so it groups. And that's what we naturally do in our brain whenever we look at data, we tend to look, we try and analyze it straight away, we can't help ourselves. So when you give somebody a data set, whatever it is, even if it's colored beads, you start separating out the yellow ones from the red ones. And so you start to kind of look at it and go, wow, there's more red ones. That's interesting. So wonder why there's only one orange one. So that's what our brain naturally does. And that's really all artificial intelligence is. It's just replicating our natural ability to sort and group and then look for things that sit outside. So when we listen to social media, we often listen, if we're listening around something like rheumatoid arthritis, and we want to understand how patients are coping with driving, we look for those two words together. So we will program um, uh, a little algorithm to pick up anybody that's tweeted the word rheumatoid arthritis or RA, and driving in the same tweet, for example. And then we bring that into a group. And then it, it needs that human intelligence too. So then we physically go in and look at that data. And that could be, say, 16,000 tweets. And we'll actually physically go through and look at it. And so sometimes computers just can't give you that real human experience. And certainly in, in medicine too, there's a lot of words that a computer would think would be negative, like cell death or necrosis or something like that. But we know that's actually a really positive term. So sometimes you need to correct and adjust because computers aren't naturally aware of medical language and context. That's, so that, that's just so fascinating. So, you know, I was on the AMA webinar last night with um, Nicole Rogerson, who's the CEO of Autism Awareness, and also Heidi Buchanan, who's a media mentor, talking about um, a number of a number of issues exactly like this. And we were talking about dissemination of of things, of anything. The other thing that came up was the the issue with um, scholarly research. And you know, there's two million journal articles published every year, and only half of those are ever read. Mm. And so I personally feel very upset for all those patients who have given their data, all the researchers, all that money that was used, which has essentially gone to waste. What do you see the role of your work in, in doing that? I mean, almost it's almost like every major project should have you working on it. Oh, yes. I love this one to talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, science isn't done until it's communicated. Well, that's just it. So um, I remember a yeah, a mentor said to me years ago, um, good science does not speak for itself. Um, and particularly if done by a woman. So that my other great passion is I'm co-founder of Women in STEM Australia. So we've got one of the biggest social media footprints in the world and quite deliberately so. But um, I think this is actually really important. So when I look at my mum, who's um, 77 and she's got rheumatoid arthritis, she's so funny, she's on Twitter now. God help us. Um, he said, um, I'm, I'm reading nature. And I went, what? Are you reading what? And she goes, yeah, I'm reading nature. There's a really good article here about rheumatoid arthritis and exercise and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know, that's the gold standard of research, isn't it? That 
hopefully journals can translate to a degree some of the amazing research that's done so as it gives a very well-educated older woman access to information that hopefully reinforces her compliance, that gives her greater insight into the value of medical research in this space and potentially may even inspire her to be part of a clinical trial. So I think when it comes to amplifying research, I'm with you that too often these amazing papers are maybe read by four or five, but there's been some great studies looking at if researchers amplify their research on social media, the citations can go up pretty dramatically. So there's quite a lot of work being done in that space. But an area that I'm passionate about at the moment is really understanding certain patient audiences and ensuring if we can understand them and understand their language, understand cultural differences um, and concepts around diversity and inclusion, we can create better content in translating and communicating clinical research for messages that really make sense to that population through social media. So one of my comments was half the world's half the world has access to social media. And one of my key messages in that Epworth masterclass was if a big proportion of our population, particularly disadvantaged or disengaged or maybe neglected groups of people uh, have access to Facebook, we should be sharing quality healthcare information to Facebook. And that's why I need you. That's why we need you to be able to create that content and share that message. Well, and be listening as well. I think it's absolutely vital. And it's a, you know, it's a common theme of our, of ours and our podcast um, is that, um, you know, if we're not there, then we're encouraging ignorance and that Hippocrates would be on Twitter and so should we. Um, wow, thank you so much for all of that. I feel like we could talk all day, but I'm conscious that we're a micro-podcast. 